0: Welcome to the Business Meets Fitness podcast, Lawrence. So how about you just introduce yourself to the audience and tell them a little bit about your background and how you essentially got into fitness.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I believe I am the first guest on this podcast. You are indeed. It is, without a doubt, one of the greatest honors I've ever had.
0: I'd like to thank um, my mom, my dad, my sister, my cat.
1: I am super serious about everything I do. You will never, ever hear me being sarcastic about anything. I'm Um, sure
0: that's definitely
1: (laughs) true. I I am operations manager over at Shredded by Science. It's the company that helped Lauren put out the strength feed guide.
0: And helped me in many other ways.
1: That we are all very proud of. Um, I am also Lauren's coach, by and large, um, when she does what I tell her to do.
0: When I don't Um, eat 10 bowls of cereal. And yeah, sabotage my macros. <laughs> a main
1: challenge at the moment comes in the form of cereal, um, but it's something we're working on. Yes.
0: Um,
1: over at SBS, uh, I run the Shredded by Science radio. I run our podcast. Um, if you want to go and check that out, just search for Shredded by Science Radio on iTunes.
0: It's awesome. Um, Everyone, do it right now. Much. No, not right now. Actually, listen to this first. Not then right now. Listen to this first, and make sure you Some subscribe. Some
1: reason <laughs> people seem to enjoy hearing my thoughts and the thoughts of my guests about. All things health, fitness, blah, blah, blah. We don't take ourselves too Why seriously. Why do
0: you have me on there yet, Loz? <laughs> awkward silence.
1: I'm just going to leave that awkward silence for as long as possible. Um, no, I, I, we've not had you on yet because um, I've not yet done one all about Instagram influencers. So <laughs> as and when I do, I will get you on. Um,
0: I, dread, I dread for that day. <laughs> He's going to grill me. Yeah,
1: so um, other um, than running the podcast, um, I help run the SBS Academy, which is our personal trainer course. Um, we basically we're time saw doing. A, you yeah. are doing. We saw a, a gap in the market for um, a personal trainer course that was actually useful, should we say. Um, so we enlisted the help of Eric Helms and Dr. Mike Zordos, who are um, not only colleagues of mine, but I'm, I'm very... Privileged to be able to say that they are friends of mine as well. They are wonderful people.
0: Mm. They're the type of people that people should be fangirling over.
1: If you don't know who they are, then you you really should know Mm -hmm. who they are. Um, but basically our our mission with with SBS, I actually wrote it on our new kind of app that we're developing yesterday. So let me let me just get it up because I can't hundred percent remember off the top of my head. (laughs) We want the next generation of personal trainers to be confident, curious, and consummate. We are now in our, I'm gonna say like third, we're getting into our third kind of full year of, uh, of intakes. And we've taught over 450 students to date. Um, last time I looked, I need to update this, but last time I looked our student satisfaction rate was something silly, like 97%, um, which we are super happy with. Um, as for my personal background, I studied chemical engineering at university, realized very quickly that I didn't want to be sat in an office from nine till five, five days a week, 48 weeks a year, effectively doing maths, which while I'm you know, relatively mathematical and, and have a, a relatively logical mind, the idea of doing that in a suit bored me to death. So now I sit in an office in my house from like eight till six, six days a week, 50, 51 weeks a year. Um, but I'm I'm doing stuff that I enjoy, um, which is is the main thing. Um, so I've been, I've had my ups and downs in fitness. I mean, I've not been in this, this fitness game for a hugely long time. I am all of 25 years old. Um, but I've, I've seen a few things. I've been, the, been around the block a few times. I've had my fair share of interesting experiences. Um, and hopefully, me coming on the podcast today will um, clarify a few questions that I know that you've got from your followers, Lauren. Yeah,
0: for uh, sure. So and I think there's the no better person today. to help me answer them.
1: Well thank you very much. That's hopefully
0: <laughs> why I am here today. To yeah, that's right. That. Do you want to get into it? So uh, yes, yeah, so we many want to talk about structuring training. So I thought maybe if we just start with training within a session so the kind of sets and reps you need to do whether things like glute activation is required yeah i know a lot of people just walk into the gym and they may kind of just be doing whatever the hell they feel like i know that i for sure used to do that i would just like see a random bar and i'd be like oh yeah it'd be good to do some lunges with this didn't really know what i was doing um so yeah what are your thoughts about that so
1: to go into like how to structure training as a whole topic, like to give a thorough. Mm. W-
0: <laughs> it is massive. That's <laughs> it's not only why we that, wrote the guide. Like, we, have, <laughs> we,
1: we spend probably about half a year on the academy. If you add up all of the the, the modules about training, teaching person trainers how to to do that, so
0: mm.
1: it's never going to be something that I can mm-hmm. completely clarify for everyone in the course of a podcast. Um, unfortunately, sorry to for say sure. that right from the off, but. I think that <laughs> the way that you approach your training, just from the way you think about it, um, is, is incredibly important. I think that so many people, especially nowadays, they relate, like as humans, we're really good at relating cause and effect. So we'll see, uh, an effect. Let's say that effect is the way that somebody on Instagram looks and you see what you think is Mm -hmm. the cause of that i.e the way they train and the way they eat um and you put two and two together and go well i've got to train like that and eat like that to look like i think instead one i think some quality time with yourself first and foremost i think that that's a a great starting point i think especially today you know this is the business meets fitness yes business meets fitness um especially for those who are like interested in in business, you will spend a lot of your time, possibly like way too much of your time right now, focusing on the sort of stuff that is ultimately going to benefit other people. You are constantly focusing on your product, which serves to um, which serves a purpose to somebody else. Ultimately, that's that's al- the ultimate goal of fitness is to a uh, business. Sorry, is to create a product that. Serves a purpose to somebody else to the extent that they pay money for it. So often, especially kind of in the, the entrepreneurial world, you you spend so much time bogged down in what other people want and serving other people and doing the whole playing mm-hmm. a million roles within your own company of product designer and product creator and a customer service rep and accountant and all the rest of it. And you're, you're serving other people. But... Mm-hmm training is you know an hour to two hours of your day where you shouldn't really be focusing on what that person on instagram looks like and how you can look more like that like focus on what training is to you more than anything else like being mindful about your own training and being curious about your own training is i think just a a general prerequisite for anyone who wants to actually have some longevity in the lifting game. Like you see so many people who will do like a 12-week transformation because their entire purpose of going to the gym and lifting is to look a certain way. They don't have any real connection to what lifting does for people. They don't really have any curiosity about lifting itself. It's purely as a means to an end. It's very extrinsically motivated. And those are the sort of people that, that don't have any longevity in, in this way of life. If you look at the people that that I lo- look up to as um, as authorities and, and colleagues and friends, people um, like Eric Helms and Mike Zordos and people like Mike Toshera, who runs a company called Reactive Training Systems, people like Bryce Lewis, who runs a company called The Strength Athlete. I think what... Hmm. Ha- what, what binds all of those people together is this really kind of innate curiosity about what it is we're doing um eric and dr zordos kind of fulfill that curiosity by actually doing research like they ask questions and they study it properly um mike to and and bryce they coach a whole bunch of athletes but they are incredibly analytical with like their their clients data they will look for patterns and look for trends and and I think that just this curiosity about what it is we're doing, I think can set a lot of people on a really good path. So that's kind of the the holistic approach to it, if you will, is just kind of be curious about what you're doing. And then the other thing is to realize that ultimately you are, you are going to the gym because you want to stimulate some change.
0: Yeah, you want to better yourself, maybe yeah. not only physically, Precisely. mentally as well. You, you want to stimulate release, a change. Whatever.
1: So to that end, like there are very few changes that are, are stimulated completely mindlessly. Like if you generally speaking, if you want to make a change, you have to Mm -hmm. be, you've you've got to be very deliberate about what it is that, that you're doing. So the 90% of the, of what people focus on is what makes like 10% of the difference at the end of the day. So they are focused Mm -hmm. on what exact sets and reps do I do? What exact exercises do I choose? Um, how exactly? How many times per week do I need to, to train? Exactly how many calories do I need to eat, like today? Whereas, uh, and so again, this, this goes. <laughs> this this kind of echoes this twelve week transformation mindset. This very, this very short term view of what of what training is, and I think that outside of of people who use should we say chemical assistance which I want to very quickly go off on a tangent and say that (laughs) it's not cheating like it's not detracting from the amount of work that they have to put in it just kind of speeds up Mm. how quickly they get there and it maybe elevates just how far they can go with it there's there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with it provided that you're not stepping outside of the legal boundaries of, of whatever country or state that you're living in. Um, I think I have to say that.
0: For sure. And saying well, that, that you're dumb. natty when you're like, not. <laughs> I,
1: I know. But well, it's,
0: it's very yeah. common. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, fitness industry is mm, great. The fitness
0: industry in um, a nutshell, hey?
1: <laughs> so, but generally, unless you are taking chemical assistance, building a certain level of strength, building a physique, building not only that, like th- those are the things that people focus on, but it's more kind of building a lifestyle that allows you to remain fit and healthy and live a long time and not only live a long time but live a long time and like still be able to play with your kids when and your grandkids when you're you're 50 60 70.
0: For sure and be enjoying the life that you're living because I mean if it is this long life (laughs) you want to be having fun.
1: Those are the things that like really matter I think so many people get very blinkers with
0: fitness is all
1: that matters and like shut up like you will not be saying that mm.
0: yeah. yeah i mean i've 100 so percent been ways. there i've definitely been there and even to a degree mm. now i still i still feel that way sometimes but yeah i mean i think definitely through like I'm working sorry. with you i'm very glad has really um, helped me. totes oh emotion
1: I, I know uh, so <laughs> once you you kind of have all of those as approaches i think it it makes it a lot easier to see like the bigger picture of training which is is mostly that Like, consistency Mm. and adherence are going to outweigh pretty much everything else. Like, if I went and did very little else but, like, squat a few days a week, but I did that for 10, 15 years, I'd probably have a fairly decent squat and my legs would probably be fairly jacked. Like, it doesn't necessarily matter that I didn't do Mm. the Smith machine sissy squats with whatever... Um, And the the, the, the four second tempo single leg presses like probably doesn't matter so much or it doesn't matter. It (laughs) it won't necessarily matter whether one session I did five sets of 10 or the next session I did four sets of 10 like
0: and actually while you're on that topic something that quite a few people ask me is if they get stuck into the mindset where they have to go in they have to do kind of four sets of 10 to 12 every session and they can't really get over the fact that maybe it would be a good idea to do four sets of six or three sets of eight or something because they're they're kind of stuck on this fixed mindset I mean I know that I went through this phase when I thought (laughs) I thought I was like powerlifting and I would just do five by five on every exercise for every single session. There was never any like real progression of weight or anything over time. It's... Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> oh, and I, again, I think we all funny. go through that <laughs> to an extent. I think what this really boils down to, um, when it, like to answer the question specifically of, I'm scared to change up like the way I train. I think that's mostly because mm people associate the way that they look right now with the way that they're training right now. Like, the way that you look Mm. or your strength Mm. levels are not indicative of your last week of training. They are indicative of the past however many months and years of training Mm. that you've put in, by and large. Like, there is nothing to be gained by blindly sticking to the same rep and set scheme and refusing to change anything because you're scared of it going wrong like what happens if it goes wrong you lose like half well you you lose like what half an if inch it goes on, right? whatever muscle group or maybe <sighs> you drop five kilos in the weights that you lift so fucking what like in the grand scheme yeah, of things exactly no in the grand scheme you of things really like, what difference is that different. gonna make are you really gonna turn around age 50 and go yeah i was absolutely right to worry about that extra <laughs> half inch on my booty just so my gym short leggings looked that extra bit good like <laughs> i'm sorry if i sound really cynical <laughs> and kind of jaded it's because i am um <sighs>
0: oh no, I... <laughs> uh, yep well it's very true though it's really really true and i think it's a good perspective for the listeners of this podcast to be hearing these are the questions that i get really often mm. so i just want to you know put a new spin on things and help people realize that there is so much more to life than these exact uh kind of specific ways of doing things Please don't
1: like i don't want this to come across like i'm disparaging the the questions that you're getting because they are they are totally valid questions and they are questions that we've all had oh yeah we've all asked them um i've asked them we're dealing with broad brush strokes here fitness we don't know enough about fitness yet to be able to to really pinpoint those finer details not until you've been training for like maybe 15 or 20 years will you be able to really nail down and dial in your own training to that extent
0: so how about let's yeah. um just spin this back to the question a little bit more so structuring training within a session sets and reps etc so i just kind of want to maybe just give a bit of an idea to some people because obviously mm. it's, it isn't it isn't too important in the grand scheme of things, but if people are going into the gym and every session, they're just like picking up some dumbbells, just doing mm. whatever the hell they want with them, but there is no progression to the their very, training plan. Yeah, the very so general I mean,
1: guidelines for, I know that for this are to, to one, like figure out what you want from your training. I'm going to assume by and large that people listening to this, um, mm. they want to look great. They want to look good naked, which is a perfectly valid goal. Um They maybe want to get stronger Mm -hmm. at certain things. I would say to and again, this is hugely general, pick two to three compound exercises. So those are big multi-joint exercises where you can generally shift a a fair amount of weight, things like um squat variants and deadlift variants and pressing variants and rowing variants, things like that. Things that that are going to involve a couple of different joints, a few different muscle groups um those are the ones that you're going to get a decent amount of like bang for buck and then from there you can pick a number of different kind of accessory exercises ones that are going to maybe not be quite as effective as your big compound lifts but they're ones that you enjoy they're ones that target muscle groups that you you want to grow um or you want to tone up or or whatever it is that you're you're wanting to do um it's the language people use yeah, like I know, I, from it using it. Really, I know that it doesn't really I know that doesn't really mean anything mm. like toning up you you'd have to gain muscle and lose fat but ultimately that's what people want to use and I think that, that one of the biggest mistakes I personally made when I was younger was was being a little like too pedantic about stuff like that I think that just realizing that people will use language like that and you can connect with more people and you can relate yeah. to more people by using the same sort of language Very that true. they do. Um, I think that's a a powerful thing. So picking a bunch of, of like isolation exercises and then you can like just so long really as you do all of those sorts of things within a week, you're probably okay mm. like in terms of the exact way you split up your training week, that's going to depend on, um, one, like, doing things that aren't really stupid. Like, no, like doing all of your isolation exercises before doing some really heavy squats <laughs> is probably not the best idea, for example. Tell them about my um, old doing, training
0: plan that I sent you before you started coaching me before while I was on prep. How many sets was I, I doing I, in a workout?
1: I think I blanked it out of my mind because <laughs> it was... It was just fairly horrific. So Lawrence messages um, me
0: one day saying something along the lines of, you're doing 150 sets per workout. This is why you are not progressing. I was I, probably I was did. doing a ridiculous amount of volume, training for about two and a half hours, seven days a week. And I was wondering why I wasn't progressing because mm. I was grinding, bro.
1: You were, you were hustling hard. <laughs> um... The, the general rule of thumb is like anywhere from from three to six days of training a week, you're probably going to be fine with. Um, bear in mind that the more sessions you do, like the less you'll probably do per session. Um, start with, I think the general guidelines are 40 to 70 odd like reps per muscle group per session. If you're doing that like two to three times a week, that's taken from some research done a while back, I'm going to say... <laughs> I think it was like 2011. It may have been 2008 or 2009 um, by some, some German dudes, one of whom was called Wernbomb. Oh, wow. Um, it's like in terms of the, the research on training volume, it's like a fairly seminal thing because it was the first one to look at like all of the research to date and try and figure out like roughly what sort of training volume dose was going to respond to muscle mass and, and strength increases. So 40 to 70 reps per muscle group per session, like two to three times a week is probably going to be okay. Now, what will that look like in practice? That will probably look like you doing two to three of your compound lifts at the start of one session, and maybe like three to four of your isolation lifts after those. So mm-hmm. you may start with a squat and a deadlift, and then you may do your your lower body isolation exercises the next session let's say on the tuesday you may do your um incline bench press and your your bent over row compound lifts and then you may do your upper body isolation exercises and then you may repeat that so on the thursday you do your lower body session again friday you do your upper body session again but you may um change rep ranges for example Ah, but lawrence
0: you're not shocking the body by doing vertical press kneeling on a Bosu ball
1: yeah, that stuff can get in the sea. Like that, <laughs> that That is really fairly irrelevant for, for most people. But um, on a
0: realistic note, repeating sessions, I think that's something that a lot of people don't really ever tend to think is a good idea. But it,
1: it, It's not repeating the session. If you, like maybe the first session of the week for your lower body, you did sets of like 8 to 12 on squats. And then yeah. on the Thursday, you did maybe like some heavier stuff. So maybe you did sets of, of 4 to 6. Um, but the research tends to point towards um, some form of uh, variation within a week as being pretty damn good in terms of increasing muscle mass and strength. So that can be, you can change exercises. Um, so maybe on your, your first session, you do like a front squat. And then on your second session that you're maybe going a bit heavier, you may do like a, a box squat for example um so the variation can either come in terms of the the exercises you use or it can come in terms of the rep ranges so like the weights that you're using you can provide a slightly different stimulus in in that regard um or it can it can be a mixture of both um so i think that having that sort of general outline to your training is is not a bad thing like just having a a sensible thing where you're like if you're programming your own training and you look at a session and go, "Damn, that's a lot of work. Like you're probably doing too much if especially if you're within like your first maybe kind of five years of training, I think that for most people, there's a there's a really great quote from Dan John that goes, um, that it, it's basically like he would much rather have people do three easy-ish workouts like a week for an entire year than have somebody do like an entire month of really hard workouts in January and then stop for the rest of the year I think that the the well yeah I think for, for most people that you know there's the old adage of stimulate don't annihilate I think rings really true um and one thing that that really changed the game for me was um talking to Dr Zordos and reading some of his research his research looks at uh, a lot of his research rather looks at something called daily undulating periodization now these are super big words i get it um they're confusing for most people what this refers to is what i've been talking about and it's just like changing your your stimulus over the course of a week this this is different to how people used to structure training in that people used to have like an entire month of training where they'd focus on like the eight to 12 rep range. And then they'd have an entire month of training where they'd focus on another particular facet. Now the daily undulating periodization thing just basically goes, you know, on Monday, let's, let's focus on some hypertrophy work on Wednesday. Let's focus on some power work. And on Friday, let's do some strength work. For example, it's building in all of the different stimuli into a, a training week. And talking to him um, and, and Eric Helms about the use of, like, the power days, because for for somebody who's concerned with their, their physique and the way they look, these don't seem particularly relevant. Now, what they suggest is actually using them as kind of... I don't want to call them active recovery sessions, because they're not what most people think are active recovery sessions, but they call them fatigue management. So it's a session where you're going in and it's deliberately quite light. It's deliberately not a huge amount of volume. It's practice. I think the other going back to the way that you approach your training strength is a skill, like doing all of these movements are skills. And I think if you were to practice any other sport in the way that bodybuilders practice their training movements, like there's no way you'd, you'd make it at all. Like you, You could not do that. Um, These sorts of skills require deliberate practice. And the, the fatigue management sessions are sessions where you can go and do some very deliberate practice of certain movements. So that was another big kind of game changer for me. So my main take home point here is. Structure your training sensibly. So do some compound lifts, then do some isolation lifts. Repeat those a few times a week. So you're hitting each muscle group two to three times a week um, with probably around about like three to maybe eight tops sets per muscle group per session, um, depending on what rep ranges you're using. Make sure you're hitting each muscle group two to three times a week don't be scared of having light days. Like you don't need to go and kill yourself every single session. Um, The most important thing is um, consistency and adherence, like stick with your training. So long, this is the thing, like so many people get bogged down about program hopping and, and all of the rest of it. But I think what we showed with the, the strength feed guide is that like, just because you change the number of days you train per week doesn't mean that you are suddenly off the program like we we put together a program that allowed people to maybe one week you've got like a ton of free time so you can go and train five days but then maybe the next week you have a really busy working week and you can only hit the gym three days a week we've accounted for that like you can go down to training three days a week and you can still absolutely stay on the program Um, sure. You may not be doing, you may not be doing quite as much work as you were on the five day a week, but this is the thing over, over the years that like training three to four times a week, is going to add up and it's going to add up really quickly
0: for sure and swapping from training five days a week to three days a week is so much better than swapping from training five days a week to no days a week some really great advice from you there lawrence so thank you for that should hopefully have clarified a few points i do just have one more question with regards to this topic about training kind of within a session um it's just about rest periods Mm -hmm. so i mean I think that a lot of times due to the kind of evolution of high intensity interval training, people maybe want to rest for like one minute and think that resting for between 30 seconds to a minute or something is going to be more optimal for them to burn more fat or put on more muscle or something. I mean, can you just clarify?
1: If you're looking at your training to burn fat, if you're going into the gym to very deliberately burn fat, I think that that's possibly the, like the wrong stimulus to be looking for. I think when you, when you step into a gym to lift weights, I think that you need to be very clear about what stimulus you're looking at. And, and this goes back to like a a basic understanding of what your body uses to, to fuel exercise, the higher intensity with which you train, the more your body will use stored carbohydrates for fuel the lower the intensity that you you train the more your body will use like stored body fat but even then like that's that's still a very blinkered way of looking at things yeah when you step into a gym your goal should be to build strength to build muscle like you when you go into a gym it's to build things it's why it's called bodybuilding for a you know to, to yeah to, to build whatever
0: like you can be in there to build you know I mean your goal may not necessarily be to build muscle, you may want to build I don't know your mindset you I don't know however you want to think about it is all it's Precisely. all individual, but I mean Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think what you said about when you go in aiming to burn fat, of course, if your aim is to lose body fat, then fine, but I think uh, the focus on, oh, I can only rest for 20 seconds because otherwise I'm not going to be burning fat efficiently yeah. can be a very dangerous mindset to fall into. I think um, it absolutely can.
1: Um, and also uh, it
0: can damage people's progress, I guess, because they may not be able to uh, lift the amount of weight that they could potentially be able to be doing if they're resting for longer. I don't know. What do you think about that? Uh,
1: I think, no, absolutely. Um, back to the point about losing fat and losing weight, um, the the basic mechanism behind that is consuming fewer calories than than you expend, um, and can physical activity play a part in creating that that calorie deficit? Sure, absolutely it can. Um, for some people, it's a it's a very necessary thing to to create that calorie deficit in conjunction with like controlling how many calories you eat. Activity mm-hmm. can play a big role in in helping somebody lose weight, um, but. I think, arguably, uh, you know, the, the vast majority of your time in the gym should not be focused on stuff that's burning calories purely for the sake of, of burning calories. With regards to resting too short and then not or, you know not long enough and then not being able to shift the you know, the sorts of weights that you could shift, I think that's absolutely valid. I think if we look back at what the the science indicates with regards to, to training volume, time and time and time again, it points to like total training volume being the main driver of um, a stim- uh, of, of your adaptation. So no. this is training volume. We're talking about um, sets. If you take your number of sets, your number of reps and the weight you lifted and times them all together, um, that will give you like a total training volume for that exercise um if you're looking at it over the longer term then accumulating training volume over the long term seems to drive adaptations and the more to a point the more volume you accumulate the more that you will adapt now we know that there's there's generally kind of a a sweet spot for training volume Mm. and we know that doing too much as we alluded to with lauren's 150 set per session (laughs) doing too much can be detrimental to people Mm. but I would, I would argue that you should probably tackle this with regards to how you split up your training over the course of a week. For example, yeah. I'd argue that if you are resting for thirty seconds because oh I don't want to too much do, do too much volume, bro, because I don't want to like I don't want to burn myself out and, and overtrain and not progress, so I'm only going to rest for thirty. 30- no, no, don't be stupid. Mm. Rest a proper amount of time. We're talking like probably anywhere from two to five minutes. Do your set again use the the sort of weight that you can use like that my general rule of thumb is to use unless i'm targeting a very specific adaptation um or wanting somebody to very deliberately practice a skill and not stay um and not stray anywhere near failure on an exercise then i will say like use sort of the heaviest weight you can use for that exercise with control like the the first and foremost thing is is safety with this stuff ultimately we're shifting around relatively heavy lumps of metal there is the potential to hurt yourself and hurt yourself quite badly so you need to be able to control an exercise if you're going to do it but buy in you know after that um use a decently heavy weight you don't need to go to failure on every single exercise um again there's research pointing towards that not being the best thing um for kind of overall gains um judicial no you know some judicial use of of training to failure can work absolutely great um it is it for uh, for everyone no i personally don't remember the last time i trained to failure um no i know i do i did a block of yeah that was dumb i ended up injuring my hip pretty pretty badly doing that
0: I am so sorry about all this fuzziness from my microphone that's like, it sounds all like that. Basically, I had to cut out what I was saying here because it sounds so, so, so bad. But Lawrence and I are now about to be talking about DOMS, which for anybody who isn't aware, it's delayed onset muscle soreness. Is the aching that you get after training sometimes. So let's get back into it.
1: Yeah, so this is a, a really common thing that I've seen um people turning around and going oh that was a great session i'm so sore today
0: yeah and i think influencers um, have a massive part to play here because i've seen some people with a very large following like god like millions of followers and hundreds of thousands of followers who will tweet something or put in one of their instagram captions being like had such a great leg session today i can't even walk now it hurts to sit on the toilet seat. just as
1: a general point to to influencers i think you absolutely have a responsibility to make sure that what you're saying is um correct if you have that large an audience and if that many people are avidly paying attention to what you're saying then one like well done that's not something that many people can do you you know you've clearly related to a lot of people but i think at the same time you need to take some responsibility for what you're saying yeah um and
0: i agree so much
1: a lot of the stuff I've seen about health and fitness from an influencer standpoint just kind of makes me cringe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the soreness thing, it is not a marker of progress. Like it's not a marker that you had a great session. It's not a marker that you've done anything other than like provide your muscles with a new stimulus. Like for, for example, I had two weeks off training pretty much recently because I was traveling around in Vietnam um and to be brutally honest I could not be bothered to train because I would much rather have gone and seen this brand new country that I'd never experienced before and experienced everything that it had to offer Mm. and I am in no way regretful about that at all um I then had a significant amount of time off after that because I got pretty sick coming back from from Vietnam the air conditioning on the plane which recirculated everyone's bacteria over me and washed me with them for for all the 12 hours (laughs) left me pretty sick after that it was pretty disgusting um Mm -hmm. so i had two weeks off i went and did a session on tuesday this tuesday had just gone we're recording this on saturday um i worked up to one set of five on front squats and then dropped some weight did another set of five I then went on to close grip bench press. I worked up again to a set of five. I then dropped the weight, did one more set of five. So in total, I did four working sets that session, and I was sore. (laughs) Does that mean it was a good session? By all accounts, no. My squats felt fairly terrible. I felt like Bambi on ice doing squats because I've not done them in two weeks. Like, the, the weights I was shifting were okay, but I wasn't able to control it as well as I'm normally able to control it. Um, I only did four damn sets. Like, that's not what I'd call a good session, but I was sore mm. for a couple of days afterwards.
0: Yeah, because your so, body wasn't used to it.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a new stimulus. Um, what DOMS potentially is an indicator of is something called the repeated bout effect. Now, the repeated bout effect is basically... Um, when you do an exercise for the first time um, or for the first time in a couple of weeks, when it's a new stimulus, then you will induce some level of damage to your muscle tissue. Um, there will be like little micro tears and things. Your your body will be sending satellite cells to repair them all. And um, it will generally be kind of in a state of, of repair, if you will. The next time you do that exercise, there will be less damage. Now, on the one hand, this is no so bueno because we know that um one of the mechanisms of muscle growth is this repair process however what this does allow you to do is accumulate more volume like you can train with heavier loads you can do more sets and more reps because you're not accumulating as much damage and we know that like in the grand scheme of things we know that this training volume effect has a bigger impact on your overall muscle growth and strength than just this like this this myofiber damage this muscle damage thing um and there's there's some interesting research on mice that shows that if you knock out these satellite cells so if you basically if you knock out their ability to repair their own muscles in in that way but still get them to effectively like resistance train which is hilarious resistance training mice um they will still (laughs) grow just fine because of this training volume thing so um Obviously, as humans, we are not mice. We don't work in mm. quite the same way. But it's still it's interesting to um, to see that you can still get a decent training effect, like without this whole repair thing. So no, mm. soreness and damage is not an indicator that you had a great session. Like again, my whole thing is is like fitness should in- improve your life. Fitness should not detract from your life. And if I can't walk down the fucking stairs in the morning, like. <laughs> That is not improving my life. Like if yeah. I can't get up off the toilet in the morning, that is not improving my life.
0: That is essentially it. Honestly, like, I to, yeah to,
1: yeah to be very blunt about it. There,
0: like, boom. I'd... That's it. I just can't believe mice were made to resistance strain. I think that is quite common. So wow. Okay. Well, with that said, <laughs> um, glue activation. Okay. This might be the last thing.
1: The last thing. No, actually, we,
0: we have a couple more things. I mean, I think okay. glute activation, though, glute activation is a, a great topic to talk about. So
1: it is. Um, I mean,
0: even I'm not 100 percent set on it. I do it. I do it sometimes, but not again, really. I don't know.
1: With with a lot of topics in fitness, um, there are no like set in stone right or wrong answers. Um, and I think glute activation is is one of these topics. Like there are there are a couple of um, couple of reasons that people say that it could be doing something, and one one comes about with the whole um, like posture thing and low back pain thing, and people say that you know you should activate your glutes because it will switch them back on. And yeah, I've seen stuff like that. Really, I think we can given given the research we can quite definitively say that like your glutes don't just switch off like they they don't do that um and that i think i'm pretty sure there is some research that that looks at glutes not firing but we then have to go into the fact that they were done that i think the way that they were assessed was people like just put their hands on someone's ass and got them to do something and they didn't feel anything going on that's really not a particularly good way of telling if something's going on like again there's research looking at how reliable that is and it's not so the the other argument the one that i like i i see some merit in is uh, i have done glute activation and it you know it, i have found that it 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 works to an extent that it 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 makes certain movements feel a bit better and a bit smoother and a bit stronger. Um, I think part of that might be just like a proprioception thing. No proprioception is being able to tell what bits of your body are in space. Yeah. Um, and so, also the
0: fact that maybe you're just a little bit better warmed
1: up. Yeah. It might, might simply be, be something like that. It might be a, like a dynamic warm up type effect. Um, I think that if you, if you want to get some really targeted glute volume in then and doing some glute activation at the beginning of a session is not a it's not a bad way of doing that um i think what what really grinds my gears is seeing people spending like hours on the stair mill with a band around their knees trying desperately to get like more glute activation if you want to do that because some chick on instagram did it cool but there are far more time efficient ways of probably getting pretty much the same thing that's going on yeah glute activation is this kind of murky gray topic if you if you try like, i think that the main thing is try it out like do a few sets of um like kickbacks and banded clamshells and whatever else before a session you don't need to spend 30 minutes activating your, your glutes spend like five ten minutes doing it and then go and do some exercise if it feels better continue to do it if it doesn't seem to help you could spend those five, 10 minutes doing something that, that probably does help or just like training more.
0: So guys, the same thing happened again with my microphone. So I'm really sorry about that. I promise to you that it is not going to happen in the next podcast. I'm going to make sure I know fully how to work it before doing the next podcast. So yeah, please accept my apologies. So what I was essentially saying here is that I was saying, do not neglect a warm up in favor of doing glute activation for this whole period of time. Make sure you're still getting in your full normal warm-up your dynamic stretching and your foam rolling and stuff and yeah move on from there so the next question is all about sugar insulin and your metabolism when it comes to training
1: what i will say is that like sugar and insulin are nothing to be scared of Uh, if you want to learn more about this then james krieger has an incredibly informative series on insulin on his website if you go onto google and search for weightology so weight is in body weight and then ology uh, and then insulin there's like seven parts of it that you can read through where he basically blows the myth out of the water that sugar is going to make you fat like i think we can quite definitively now say that sugar on its own is not going to do anything with regards to making you, you fatter than if you swapped it out for like the same amount of calories from like something that is not sugar. So with regards to training, um, I think that one angle that you can tackle this from is the whole, I need an insulin spike after I train. Um, therefore, Um, I'm, I need to, to slam some, some sugary stuff immediately after I train in order to, to spike that insulin because insulin is by and large a storage hormone. It has some other effects as well. It's, it's one of the, the quote unquote, like master hormones of the body. It has a bunch of different effects. It will tell your brain a few different things, but one of its main roles that, that we look at is it generally kind of unlocks the door for things to get into cells. Like the, the way that things get into cells, they float around your bloodstream, and then insulin comes along and unlocks the door, and your uh, the the blood sugar and the the fat and everything else that's in your in your bloodstream, and some amino acids as well can then be transported into the cell and then be used to um, either fuel things or be made into things or to, in the case of fat, just be stored. Which is why this whole thing has come about about oh, sugar and insulin is going to make you fat because it drives fat storage and yada 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 and it's yeah it's hilariously wrong that aspect of it but um a lot of people still fall into to that trap um the the thing to bear in mind with with this sort of stuff is um the assumption is always that insulin levels are basically at zero after we train um and that we then immediately need to spike them up to drive all of this this storage. And it it kind of ignores the fact that we've probably had some food before we trained. Um, And again, there's a decent amount of research. I believe I first saw this um, at a talk that Alan Aragon and Brad Schoenfeld gave. Um, It may have been at Body Power, I can't quite remember. but they basically showed some research that uh, like a, a mixed meal will spike your insulin levels pretty damn high. Like it's a, it's a normal response to food ingestion. Your body senses that food is incoming and it's it's got to do something with it. It can't just let it sit in your bloodstream because some pretty weird and wacky and slightly dangerous things can happen if your food is just like floating around in your bloodstream and your body's not doing anything with it. Um, so it will spike your insulin levels quite high. Those insulin levels will then remain elevated for a a pretty long time. Like it's a good few hours. So your, your insulin levels after you finish training may well still be like elevated to like 50% above baseline. That's perfectly fine to get things back into to body cells and to get repair processes kicked off and and whatever else um and then it also ignores the fact that um protein spikes insulin as well protein is what is called insulinogenic um and whey proteins and and like milk proteins especially are incredibly um insulinogenic because they contain lots of an amino acid called leucine um now leucine is um, pretty important in a number of different ways. Uh, one, it kind of, it kicks off the the process of muscle protein synthesis. Um, it activates something called the the mTOR pathway, which k- again, kicks off muscle protein synthesis, if you will. Um, but what it also does is it interacts with um, the beta cells in your pancreas. Now the beta cells in your pancreas are what produce insulin um, and they're, they're what goes wrong in type 1 diabetics, which is why they need to then inject insulin. Um, it causes those leucine causes those cells to directly release insulin. So, um, if you look at studies on like milk protein ingestion and leucine and insulin spikes, sorry, then you will see that that milk is crazy insulinogenic because it not only contains a, a decent amount of leucine, but it also contains a lot of sugar, um, and it will just send your insulin levels through the roof. So, do you need to? slam a bunch of skittles or haribo directly after your workout if you have the calories to do so and you want to do so because it tastes good and it you you may feel like a little woozy after your session a little lightheaded because you did a lot of training there's nothing wrong with doing that like you don't need it especially if you've had a mixed meal sometime before you trained and then within a couple of hours after training you're getting another meal you will be absolutely fine like again nutrient timing is something that is way overemphasized by people but makes comparatively little difference in the in the long run based on on what we know um
0: mm. i think we can great points say that. yeah well thank you for that you're welcome I think, yeah, I think that that's that's everything, really. I mean, I think uh, the whole thing about structuring training and what you just said about uh, hormones and insulin and all that shebang is going to help a lot of people. I also think that when it comes to sugar and insulin stuff, I think if you're not diabetic, you don't need to be worrying too much about your sugar intake and provided that you're getting your micronutrients in, that you're getting your fiber in, that, you know, everything else is pretty much nailed. Um, I think, yeah, again, it's one of those things which, can, which has been massively over-exaggerated by, I guess, the media, social media as well. Yeah. Um, so that's that. Awesome. Wonderful.
1: If you want to find meat, on social media, um,
0: plug yourself. Plug the shoot out of yourself. Don't worry,
1: I will do it. Logs. Um, I am Lawrence underscore SBS on Instagram. Um, it's probably the the best way to find me. I don't post hugely interesting stuff, I'm afraid. But if you want to like slide into my DMs and ask me a question, then Ooh. yeah, Ooh. I feel free. Um, <laughs> alternatively, you can email me at Lawrence at com. Um, you can go to shreddedbyscience com and find out everything you need to know about what it is that, that we do um our academy yeah. launch is we're opening our doors for enrollment it's really soon. on the 28th of august um so okay. if you head over to shredded forward slash academy you can find out pretty much everything you'd, you'd want to know uh, about the academy um and if you want to go and check out shredded by science radio i'd love it if you did
0: yeah everybody subscribe now do it
1: ty right
0: this second awesome well thank you Lawrence, and thank you to everybody who has listened to this podcast make sure you're subscribed to this podcast as well and i will catch you in the next one (laughs) well that was great laws cheers for that how do i stop this recording in a safe way this one